now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Derek Dyson and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time, a podcast spun-off from our regular show where we could go just about anywhere in the world of football as we chew the fat on our teams, games, moments, and hot topics of the week. Rob Gilbert's on the subs bench this week. He's stretching, he's showing his keen. Gaffer put me on, but he's not quite going to get to the line. So it's Willem van Denderen, Derek Dyson, and Michael Edgley with you. Derek, kick us off, brother, with your game of the week. Game of the week clearly needs to be in Scotland. We covered it in the main show, Willem, but let's maybe go into a little bit more detail with the Scottish Cup final or the Via Play Cup Uh as it's called, to rival Carabao down south. And uh, one player who wasn't on the bench and stretching was uh, Kyogu Furuyashi, who uh, who got the uh, got the goals on the day to, to, to get Celtic the, the 2-1 win. With in, in reality, I think this could have been a lot heavier in Celtic's favour. I didn't really feel that any stage that, that Rangers were uh, in getting control of the game. Uh, they kind of got a scrappy goal back, which is, you know, fair play to them. But I felt like Celtic were, uh, a, you know, leagues ahead of uh, Rangers in this game and probably just in Scottish football at the moment. But he's scored 24 goals now, Kyogo. Um, and this was a seventh League Cup in nine years for Celtic. And combine that with their nine-point lead in the Premiership, um, and only one def- domestic defeat all season, I think, uh, and just team are well positioned to to build on this one and uh, and and uh, take Celtic on, as we were discussing at the uh, in the main show. And for Michael Beale, the Rangers manager, that was his first loss in fifteen games in charge of Rangers, so he's had an excellent start. Um, he has been a bit chippy with some of his comments towards Celtic. Apparently, they've got. Um, They've got, you know, their money bags and they're in a kind of false position and whatever it is. But, um, you know, Kyogo Furihashi, uh, I don't know if you or um, Edge want to pick this up. Uh, uh, you know, he was bought for five million. What a snip. Like, literally, that's got to be one of the best, um, one of the best value transfers of all time for us, for Ange and Celtic. It's just a great um, headline for Asian football, isn't it? Ange Postogoglu won going to Celtic and having so much success, but dragging um, Japanese footballers who um, traditionally haven't done so well in Europe, but uh, the ones that Ange has brought across to Celtic in particular, uh, who you've mentioned, have just been dynamic for them and um, a real uh, a real impact uh, for Celtic uh, in terms of getting results and, and silverware, but uh, I think just as importantly, some incredible impact on the club socially and also, uh, you know, off the field too. They're, we know what the Japanese players are like in terms of their culture and uh, they've been an exciting addition and they look good in the green and white stripes, don't they, Willem? No, they certainly do, Derek. Yeah, Kyogo was one of Ange's very first signings when he got to Celtic, having been the player of the uh, the J-League season at Vissel Kobe playing alongside uh, Iniesta. And he's been a phenomenon pretty much uh, right the way through. He's seen off 
uh, Giacomakis, the, the Greek striker who's now headed to the US, uh, and just brought in another striker from South Korea, Oh Hyun Gyu. But Kyogo still been uh, still been preferred to him. So no, he's been prolific. He scored the uh, the double in the last League Cup final, uh, and he's done it once again. Uh, there was another point I was going to touch on, and that was that I agree with you uh, on the fact that this wasn't really that close of a match. I had a mate message me, oh, it must have been a tight win. But I think of all the old firms we've seen with uh, with Ange against Gerrard and Van Bronckhorst and now Beal, uh, this was probably one of the less dramatic and one of the more one-sided ones. I think it was Celtic uh, through Haksabanovic late, who probably looked more likely to add a third rather than uh, Rangers to, uh, to find the second one. So they roll on. But no, you're right to mention Beal's record as well. Uh, he's certainly building something there uh, at Rangers, but a, a title challenge might be a little bit too much for him this year with that nine-point gap. Michael, your game of the week, please. In Germany, it was Bayern Munich and Union Berlin. Been a lot of talk about Union Berlin uh, in our uh, podcast over recent weeks as they've made an incredible uh, start to their Bundesliga season. And this match had a massive build-up. But Bayern Munich, uh, they stuck, struck three times in a punishing first half to pop the Union Berlin um, balloon. They uh, they won 3-0. Uh, Bayern successfully bounced back uh, from last week's loss to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And uh, they've gone top of the table for the first time this season with 46 points ahead of Dortmund on goal difference and Union a third on 43. It was only Union's first loss of the season. They've had a few draws, obviously. Um, but uh, it was, and in more good news for Bayern Munich, uh, Stadio Mane made his comeback after being out for three months. And Bayern, who was starting to get their act together, they host Paris Saint-Germain on the 8th of March in their Champions League last round of 16 league. And could they give uh, the Champions League a shake by upsetting PSG? Uh, I think there's some possibility of that. Bayern Munich back in town, uh, Willem. Yeah, so that leaves them first on goal difference, and it is a, uh, a huge buffer by the goal difference. Uh, Derek, it's then Borussia Dortmund in second, and Union. Well, they've, well, they've had a loss here, but they just won't go away. Uh, and if I can throw to you, Derek, on their Europa League draw, they've been handed a pretty tasty one, Union saint gilois uh, when they could have been drawn against Bayer Leverkusen, Man United, uh, Arsenal, Juventus. They've... Uh, They've avoided what could have been quite nasty, Roma, uh, and they've got, I reckon, of the uh, the fifteen or the yeah the fifteen other teams, the one they'd want there. A great see, a great season. Uh, it's not surprising to see um, Munich flexing their muscles. They definitely enjoyed having Mane back. I wonder, in terms of the U- this, the Europa League, just where Union will prioritise that. It's just, you know, there's a there's a lot of football to be played and. Whether a Bundesliga finish or dare I say it, title might be um, more up their alley. You know, certainly the French, te- sorry, the German teams like Frankfurt have performed well. I think Frankfurt, are the defending champion, so maybe Union will go for it. But they definitely want to be, be the battle of the onions, that's for sure. It's all right. Moving on, my game of the week. <laughs> Came from Old Trafford, Manchester United against Barcelona. Uh, two huge clubs. Might have felt a little bit lowly to see them meet in a pre-last 16 Europa League clash, but it was high-end, top um, top commitment. Clearly, it was all on the line. Uh, Lewandowski, after what I should say had been a, a pretty good first league as well, Lewandowski scored uh, from the penalty spot. But United didn't panic. They, uh, they went about their work. I think this was comfortably, by a long way, the best game I've seen. Fred play in a man new shirt, and he pulled the first goal back. Uh, Ten Hag used his bench well. Anthony and Garnacho with exceptional uh, performances off the pine for uh, Anthony with the, uh, with the second goal. Uh, and, yeah, it felt like uh, a night... Derek, where 
Man, you sort of believed again in Europe. I think that was just the second in 12 times that they've beaten Barcelona. So they've, uh, they haven't, I mean, Barca have had the will on them since the Ferguson days, so it's only the Europa League, but the uh, the goodwill certainly continued off the back of this one. Yeah, we spoke uh, with Jamie Jackson in the main show about people like Fred and how he was almost seen as a little bit substandard, a bit of a laughing stock in that middle of the field. And now he's not quite first name on the team sheet, but he's certainly, you know, strengthened his case to be starting more games and he's been chipping in with some really useful goals some quite cute goals as well he's quite good at the kind of flick or the some kind of redirection from across he's he's definitely got that in his locker so been impressed with him and look Barcelona and Man United in in many ways are in these similar kinds of positions really like they're kind of transitioning transitioning teams probably not where they'd want to be in terms of squads well not where they'd want to be in terms of total dominance and mastery of European football, but um, you know, we talked about Man United definitely going in the right direction. And uh yeah, Barcelona have been pretty good in La Liga this season. They had a bit of a slip up this weekend and so did Real Madrid really, so it didn't really cost them anything. But I think if I I'd probably be happier if I was a Man United fan really. I think under Ten Hag that feels like the right project. I'm not quite sure Xavi has managed to craft this sort of team of kind of random signings that they've pulled together at Barcelona um, into something that could be a European force. We'll stay with you, Derek, for your team of the week, please. I think we're heading to Southern Italy. We are. And again, you know, uh, teams are starting to recur as themes. So yeah, we had the name check of Union Berlin and we've spoken plenty about them. And another one is Napoli. We've spoken plenty about them. And to be honest with you, they could have been team of the week every week, um, you know, more or less this year. So we've had to kind of ration Napoli, but they did move 18 points clear of Serie A uh, with a with a win over um, Empoli. They they they'd followed that up with uh, a two 0 win over Frankfurt away in the Champions League, which was really impressive too. And I just think it's worth anyone on the pod who doesn't who listens to the pod doesn't follow Napoli. It is really worthwhile while this team is still playing well to check them out uh, under Spalletti. They're playing a really high-intensity pressing game, um, which is kind of unusual for the slightly more, I don't want to say languid, that's the wrong word about Italian football, but slower, progressive football. And Napoli are the complete opposite of that. And they've got some fantastic players and players that are not necessarily household names yet, but surely they uh, surely they will. We've spoken about Victor Osimhen, the Nigerian, on this show. He scored 19 goals in... Serie A this season, but there's uh, Lozano as well on the right wing. He he looks fabulous. And then I'll try and get my uh, my pronunciation right of their Georgian player that they bought for absolutely nothing. Uh, uh, Kvarat Skila is his name, and he just looks absolutely excellent on the left-hand side. So dangerous. Ten goals already this season, as I said, was an absolute snip in terms of uh, who was brought in. Di Lorenzo looks good at the back as well. So they're just a really, really well-run, astute t- team, great signings. And, look, I mean, it's not if but when uh, they win uh, Serie A. And then the question that remains is just how far will they go in uh, in Europe? And the chances are, as long as they don't encounter a Real Madrid or someone on the way, they could get pretty close to the final, I reckon. Ed, you still with us out there, mate? Uh, we need your, uh, your team of the week, please. My team of the week is Manchester United. We've talked a lot about... Um, the Red Devils, but uh, 
I just wanted to say that I didn't think they would win something so early in Ten Hag's tenure. Um, and it is a bit of an ominous sign. And even Ten Hag himself said that this is only the beginning. I'm going to come back home for my team of the week. It's the Wanderers. As you said, Derek, we are starting to repeat on occasion. But 4-0 uh, against MacArthur gets them the gong this week. They haven't been a live edge this late in the season for a long, long time. Uh, Brandon Morello, seven goals this season. He's uh, probably working himself back to the fringes of Socceroos selection. And the second goal was was beautiful. Uh, Roman Amalfitano on the end of a, a lovely team move. Callum Neuenhoff has been linked with, uh, with Celtic. That might not occur, but he will be overseas somewhere before too long. And he's only going to benefit from spending uh, this six months, maybe longer, uh, alongside Morgan Schneiderlin in midfield. Uh, he scored twice in the last two games. Uh, and it looks tasty this weekend, Michael, second against third uh, when they host the Mariners. Certainly does. And Western Sydney uh, well and truly uh, building some momentum and uh, Mark Rudan getting the job done. Um, yeah, it'll be an interesting climax to the A-League uh, men's season if Western Sydney can, you know, really... Uh, figure prominently in the finals because we might get some big, big crowds in Sydney. Derek, your moment of the week. And the moment of the week is when I was doing my usual reading of the various uh, news outlets for sports. And we all know that they're very passionate in, in uh, Italy. And I'm sure Damo behind the buttons here will have some views on this. But we were talking about how Napoli uh, were on the up. One club that isn't on the up is uh, Sampdoria. They've had a Pretty wretched season so far. They find themselves towards the bottom in the relegation places uh, uh, in Serie A. We were getting all misty-eyed a few weeks ago when Gianluca Viali passed and talking about that fantastic Sampdoria team. But I, I think they're um, they're not in the same kind of place uh, because when they went down to the post room at Sampdoria recently, uh, they opened up a box that had a severed pig's head in it uh, with a note saying, the next head will be yours. Um, we've had pig's heads in the past, of course, in football. I remember one was thrown at Figo uh, when he uh, returned to Barcelona uh, in a Real Madrid shirt and the fans threw the pig's head on here. And I know that it's a pity Rob's not here, actually, because he loves the Godfather. And this is very kind of Godfather-esque. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's a serious act of intimidation, according to the club president for Ferrero. And in all seriousness, a, a bullet was delivered to the club's offices last month with uh, with more threats. And that's just because of the uh, the terrible situation that Sampdoria find themselves in um, and anger towards the uh, the administration there. So things not all looking good, uh, guys, in the uh, um, in uh, Sampdoria. And definitely not good if you're a pig in Sampdoria. It, it could meet quite a grisly end. What's tickled you this week, Edge? What, what have you got for us? Well, my moment of the week is while um, fans in Italy are uh, slicing up pigs and sending them to administrators, um, my moment of the week is a beautiful one. Um, having been to Turkey recently, um, I uh, had an opportunity to see Besiktas play and this weekend with a resumption of Turkish football, which has been disrupted because of the earthquake that took 50,000 lives um, so tragically, back on February the 6th, Besiktas fans move movingly through thousands of children's toys onto the pitch during their home match against uh, Antalya Spor. Uh, on Sunday, um, they did it um, with 4.17 remaining on the clock, the exact time uh, when the first earthquake hit um, and the huge, huge sections of um, 
of Turkey were um, under so much strain with the result of the earthquake. Um, the fans threw thousands of um, toys onto the pitch for children who you need. Uh, some great vision. If you just get on social media and check it out, uh, the toys were distributed um, um, out to the fans before the game. They've done this before, 11 years ago, the last time there was a big earthquake. Uh, and uh, it's just watch, worth watching on social media, especially the resounding uh, applause that followed it. Um, very emotional. Lots of uh, tears in the stands, and I can understand that um, the people of Istanbul uh, and the people of Turkey are hurting, and uh, some great uh, scenes from the Besiktas fans. And, of course, Australia has such a good connection with Besiktas, with Aziz Beic, uh, having played there for five years before um, he moved on to better things. So, um, yeah, well done to um, the Besiktas fans, which is a uh, an affluent suburb of Istanbul. Um, well done, guys. Uh, that's uh, some moving footage when you get a chance to watch it. Uh, very well said. Well put, Edge. Uh, a long, long way back for Turkey and just a, a horrible, horrible uh, death toll. So whatever small little part um, football and sport can play uh, on the recovery trail is always uh, most welcome. My moment of the week comes from the Middle East. Qatar, as we know, have had more than their fair share of uh, the football world spotlight over the last little while. So Saudi Arabia just decided to flex a little bit of muscle in the Asian Champions League. The semi-final played at the Al Tamuma in Doha. Al Duhail nil. Al-Halal 7. It was 3-0 after 15 minutes, 5-0 at the break. Al-Halal, we know all about their strength uh, as one of the biggest and most successful football clubs in the world, basically. They're into their fourth uh, confederation final in five years. Uh, They already lead the all-time standings with four wins, uh, and they play Japan's Urawa Reds in a two-legged final in May. Uh, Derek, bring us home with your hot topic, please. We do spend a lot of time talking about the managers and you know, the comings and goings and the interims, etc. But obviously, Spurs uh, pretty much demolished Chelsea at the weekend. I know it was only 2-0, but again, another one of those that Chelsea really um, struggled in that game. It puts them just as close to the top as it does to the to the, to the bottom of the league at the moment, which is, is not good, particularly after you've invested more than half a billion on, uh, on, play, on players. And Potter was reflecting during the week as well how he and his family have received death threats that it's having his toll on his on his mental health and um yeah i j- i just wanted to to sort of reflect on like how sad that situation is particularly because of that I, you know even as an arsenal fan and being really partisan i don't think we want any manager to be receiving um death threats i don't think football's that important <laughs> that sort of thing um should should be occurring but you know he's obviously having a really tough time of it at Chelsea at the moment. It's not not gone anywhere near as well as he and Todd Bowley would have would have hoped. The results are not there. They're not beating top sides. They're not scoring goals. They look flaky at the back. And um, yeah, I just I just feel like um, you know he's struggling personally too. And I I just wonder where this is going to going to end up. I think I was asked. Uh, a few weeks ago about um, uh, about what I thought would happen and I thought he would maybe stay because because Burley had so much invested in this manager and the project and you point to Mikel Arteta and other people that have been given the time and you mentioned um, Ten Hag and his terrible performances to, to, uh, to start uh, Manchester United. But I just wonder, I mean, this is running pretty deep now. The results aren't good. It doesn't look like they're going to change and... Edge, what would um, what, what what are your thoughts on 
on this really. I mean, is do you think do you think Graham Potter had any chance of being successful in this job? Do you think he's just been dealt a really sort of bum hand in the sense of yeah, he's had all these players bought for him, but that's just another rod for his back. He's not the most kind of sexy manager. He's not giving you the big quotes. He's not angry and gesticulating on the side of the pitch. He's quite calm and methodical. And, you know, fans look at that and go, is he trying? Is he overawed? You know, do, do you think he ever has had a chance for this job? And do you think it's going to end before the end of the season? I think he's in a world of pain. I think he's in a lot of trouble. Um, I think it was a rash decision by the Chelsea ownership to make their coaching change when they did. I don't think they had a plan on who was coming in. Um, whoever sold Potter into the club, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, been a disaster. You know, Chelsea has such a amazing array of talent. Um, they shouldn't be sort of throwing out the sort of performances they are. I know Potter is taking responsibility for them, but I don't think he can survive. I don't see how he can survive. Um, Chelsea, um, their fans and uh, the, the brand that uh, has been at the forefront of English football for so long, uh, I think there has to be change. And uh, Potter might just uh, be one of those coaches, Derek, who leaves with a um, with a big check when he gets sacked after signing a long-term contract. No, we'll, uh, we'll watch how it plays out over the coming months, maybe only the coming weeks. It uh, could meet a uh, pretty swift oh, end. Oh, Willem, it will be tomorrow, knowing this podcast. <laughs> so let's just do the other version. Uh, Graham Potter has been sacked, so thoughts, gents? No, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, thank God that's over. All the best to him. Hope he can, uh, hope he can pick up a job and rebuild. And hey, we just saw David Moyes become the third manager this week to uh, have 250 Premier League wins. So you, there is life after uh, after the top six. Michael, your hot topic, please. Well, my hot topic is, um, um, I wonder if our listeners know what the PGMOL is. Well, it's the body responsible for match officials. And there's been a unique show of transparency in the last couple of weeks. Um, I know um, Derek is probably happy with this, but um, uh, only a week ago, uh, video assistant referee Lee Mason departed the organisation after his mistake in the 1-1 draw between Arsenal and Brentford on February 11. So he paid a heavy price for making that error. Uh, and the shake-up is continuing with the VAR boss, the, the head of the VAR whole program, Neil Swarbrick exiting his post uh, in about five weeks' time. So uh, VAR, um, it just approves that um, when you make mistakes, uh, uh, there's uh, consequences and uh, the VAR going through a big shake-up in in elite English football. That is definitely a hot topic, Derek. Um, You won't be sad to see video assistant referee Lee Mason departing after that blunder cost Arsenal three points. I'm a bit sad, actually, Edge, if I'm being honest, because, uh, no, I take your point, but, you know, he's basically been hounded out of his job by the fans and the media, just like uh, just like Graham Potter again. And these guys, are being, they're trying to be professionals. They're trying to do the best job that they can. I'm very frustrated that it doesn't seem like that they can draw straight lines and that they can't, um, we, that they, that, that they can't get the big decisions right and, you know, I think we're seeing a culture of referees becoming incredibly uncertain about the decisions that they make. I know in rugby league, for example, like virtually every try is uh, is checked for, for by the video referee because the the referees on the pitch just won't make that decision. And we see more and more. And we saw in the uh, sort of the Arsenal game at the weekend a fabulous goal by Trossard, um, uh, not given because of a foul on the uh, on the goalkeeper and. Yeah, okay. There was maybe some minor contact there, but 
once you give the VAR people, uh, referees a decision to make, they're going to make they're going to make one, and you can watch things in super slow motion. You can watch it over and over again. And yes, if you look at that incident enough, then you probably see a foul there. But was it a clear and obvious error? Was it a huge foul on the player? No, I don't think so. It cost Arsenal and Trossard a goal, and thankfully um, that didn't that didn't cost us either. But as you can tell, Wedge, you've kind of given me a an absolute juicy you know, full toss there, because I can just wallop <laughs> those into the stands all day. You're not going to convince me. I know it's here to stay. I just wish now they can improve it. And I'm concerned that someone like, but sorry to make it serious, but I'm I'm concerned that someone like Lee Mason with a career, his career is just done because of one mistake that he's made because of the position he was put in. So, yeah, this VAR rumbles on from, from one thing to the other, guys. Derek Dyson playing baseball there on uh, on the VAR. And I think all I took out of that, Derek, was that all fans and media are scumbags. Who'd want to be them? Uh, my hot topic, <laughs> National Second Division. Michael, expressions of interest, as we know, are open. Uh, as of Feb 27, seven clubs have officially submitted. They are Peninsula Power. Uh, and I'm going to try and get our good mate Craig Ferugal back on the program to uh, talk us through how his club are shaping up. Preston Lions, Rockdale Illenden, the sunny coast, Sydney Olympic, and Heidelberg, if you don't mind. Uh, you'd think there'd be a few more to come from that initial list of 30 that signed off on the uh, the report. One club that probably won't be there, Michael, is Sydney United 58. Uh, Football Australia conducting an investigation into an alleged incident of racism towards uh, from a fan to an Appia Leichhardt player, and we know that they are walking the sanctions tightrope. Uh, but can you shed any light before we close on the uh, on the burgers, Michael, and where they might be in relation to this second division? Obviously, keen as mustard. Well, I mean, um, there's great ambition at that club. They are well, um, they're well led. They've got a good uh, ownership structure and a good businessman behind them who's made um, really significant investment in that club over the past five or six years. They've transformed their facilities. Uh, there's still a little bit, a little bit of work to do there to, to make it more amenable for spectators. But yeah, Heidelberg uh, and those types of clubs, you know, uh, Sydney Olympic. Um, South Melbourne, uh, Marconi, um, Melbourne Knights, you know, those clubs will definitely have great ambitions to um, be participants in this second division. The, the big question mark for me is uh, do they have um, the capital to um, expand their expenditure to meet the criteria uh, of participating in the national second division, which is commitments to full time programs with players? And uh, and coaches and administrators, um, that's the big question mark for Heidelberg and for everybody really who's going into this program. So yeah, it'll be a very interesting time while Football Australia sifts through the applicants. And uh, you know, knowing some of these traditional clubs very well, like I do with them, um, there'll be some twists and turns in this process and a fair bit of politics, I would assume. And um, the people at Football Australia are going to need to be very transparent as to reasons why they accept or decline people into this uh, into this project because uh, I'm expecting some people to be disappointed and some people to be uh, very excited and thrilled with, with selections. So this has got a bit of a journey ahead of it. Um, the ball's back in the court of uh, the clubs now to stump up the money, um, make the commitments, 
and stick by them. That brings us to the end of stoppage time. Thank you very much, gents, for what you, you brought to the table. Vast and varied as uh, as always. I thoroughly enjoyed that and hopefully the listeners do too. Thank you to the listeners uh, for tuning in. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe uh, to your podcast feed and you can also jump on the box to box website and enjoy our written content as well. If you missed our interviews in the main show with Jamie Jackson or Jason Pine, it's all there. So jump back in your uh, in your feed and give that uh, a listen and make sure you tune in next Monday. Uh, The regular show will be back and we will go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.